Amen. Thank you, Keith, and all of the orchestra and the choir. Thank you so much. This morning, we're going to continue in our I Am series, and we're going to be looking at the statement, I am the door. I am the door. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I would come to you this morning, and I would ask that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word, and that you would fill me with your spirit, and that you would be the preacher. You would speak to your people, and we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. And that everything that is said and done in this room today would bring glory and honor to your name. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This past weekend at Urban Impact down on the north side, we had an outreach this uh, Friday. Matter of fact, it was Friday. And we were having uh, a, a day that we call Arts Night. And we had all the kids gathered together, and they were singing, and they were dancing, and then I preached the gospel. And a number of people came to Christ on Friday night. And I preached another I am, not the I am the door, but I preached on I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Now, Pastor John preached on that a few weeks ago. But I talked about the resurrection. And then as I was studying for that, I was also studying for the sermon this morning where we're talking about I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. We're talking about I am the door. But as I was preparing both talks, both sermons, I began to remember a young man that was at Urban Impact. He was 18 years old. He was on the championship football team. He was graduating from high school. He was headed to Edinburgh University in the fall. He was a bright, rising star, not only at Urban Impact, but also on the north side of Pittsburgh. And it was the summer. He had graduated, and he was getting prepared to go to college. And he was sitting in his car one night, and two young men walked up alongside of his car, pulled out a gun, and shot him in the head and killed him. And I went to his funeral. And I walked up to his mother and his father, and I looked them in the eyes, and I said to them, what happened to your son was a tragedy, absolute tragedy, and that I was very, very sorry for what had happened to their son. But then I said this. I said, your son has been coming to Urban Impact for now six years, and we were faithful to communicate to him that Jesus Christ died on the cross for his sins and was raised again from the dead on his behalf. And he received Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. And I want you to know that he's with Jesus Christ right now. He's in heaven. And as I made that statement, tears began to roll down their cheeks. And they looked at me and they said, Pastor Ed, it is that truth that enables us to get up every morning. It is that hope, that truth, that our son is with Jesus Christ that enables us to face tomorrow. What is that truth? What is that truth that they could hang on to? Well, we just celebrated it back in April. It's Easter. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he was raised again from the dead, and he lives. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow, as the old hymn would say. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he was raised again from the dead, and anyone who believes upon him, 
He has the power and the authority to forgive them of their sins and to guarantee that heaven will be their home. That is what the truth was and is that they were standing on that enabled them to get up and face tomorrow. And it is that truth that we're talking about this morning. When I say that, when he says, when Jesus says, I am the door, he is saying not, I am not a door, he's saying I am the, the door. The door to what? The door to salvation. The door that's open to all of us so that when we walk through that door, we can begin a new relationship with the living God. That's what we're talking about this morning. So let, don't get that confused with anything. Let us understand that that's what we're talking about, and let's get into our passage. In our passage this morning, it says this. John chapter 10, verse 17, I'm sorry, through 7 through 10 says this. So Jesus said to them again. Notice it says again. So he's already told them once. He's telling them again. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In order to really understand this passage, we need to understand two things. We understand the biblical and the historical background of the passage. The biblical and historical background. Let's look, first of all, at the biblical context. In order to do that, we need to bounce all the way back to chapter 9 in the very beginning. And here we find that Jesus has an encounter with a blind man, and he heals him. And the blind man is absolutely delighted that he's healed. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they're not delighted at all. Matter of fact, they're really upset. So they bring the blind man before them. They bring him in, and they begin to question him. And they begin to argue with the blind man, trying to prove that he was never blind in the first place. But they lost the argument. Because those who knew him knew that he was born blind. So they lost that argument. So what did they do? They turned and they said, well, we're going to ask you to denounce Jesus as being from the devil. But the man wouldn't denounce Jesus. He wouldn't throw Christ under the bus. So they threw him out of the temple. Jesus finds this man. And begins to tell him who he is. And now his spiritual eyes are open. And he understands that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The, save, the Savior of the world. And he believes. And he begins to worship Jesus Christ. And when he becomes a follower of Christ. The Pharisees take issue with this. And Jesus begins to tell him a story. And he begins to tell him a story about the good shepherd. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the good shepherd. And there he's telling them, listen, if you tried to keep this man from believing in me, knowing me, what you're doing is that you're, becoming, you're going to rob him and steal him of the opportunity to know that he's forgiven of his sins and that heaven would be his home. That's what you're doing. When he tells the first story about the good shepherd, that's what he's saying to them. But they don't understand. So he tells them another story. And that leads us to our passage this morning. Now that's the biblical context of our passage. Now let's look at the historical context. Now to do this, I have given you some pictures. And if the pictures would come up. In the first century, when Jesus was walking around on the planet, this is what a sheepfold would have looked like. Sheepfolds or sheep pens were out on the hillsides and were made out of rocks, as you can see. 
And on top of the wall, show the next picture, was jagged rocks or thorns. Hopefully, hopefully you can see that. To, uh, to create kind of a barbed wire effect. In order to keep the sheep in and keep predators and robbers out, they put the rocks in some places. They keep the barb I mean, they keep, not barbed wire. They keep the thorns on the top of those rocks. And what's important to note here is that there was always an opening. You see the opening there? Always open. There was never a gate. Never. There was always a door, an opening like you see, that allowed this sheep to go in and out of that opening. Now here's what's happening. When you see that image there, that image would have been in their minds when he's talking, when I just, the passage we just read to you. And he, the sheep or the shepherd would take care of his sheep through the day, and then at night he would lead them into that opening right there. But then he would stand in that opening, and as the sheep would come in, he would check them over to make sure there wasn't any cuts or anything in their fur or their, what do you call it? Yeah, fur, I guess. Is it fur? Wool. Very good, choir. Wool. And he would check the wool and make sure there was nothing, you know, hidden in there or any cuts. And then he would let them in one by one. They would come in. Then once they were in and they were safe, he would stand at that door. And at night, he would literally sleep in the opening. So nothing could go in and nothing could come out. He literally became the door. That's why he says, I am the door of the sheep. He's saying when they... When he said that, that's what they would have seen, and they would have understood that he was saying that he was that door. He was that way into that sheep pen. Just like today when we talk about the fact that when we go to get on a plane or we go into a highly guarded area, that we've got to go through metal detectors. Back in those days, if we said metal detectors, they had no clue what we're talking about. I wanted to show you this so that you understood what they were thinking and what they understood. When he would have said, I am the door of the sheep, everybody would have understood what he was talking about. But very clear that there's one opening going into that sheep pen, and he's the door. Now that's the biblical and historical context in which he's speaking here. And what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the door of the sheep, what's he trying to say to those Pharisees now? He's already told them, you're trying to keep this man from me by keeping him from me. You're keeping him from the Heavenly Father. They couldn't understand that. So now he gets really specific, and he says, I am the door to the sheep pen. What's he trying to say to them? Is he saying that he's literally a door to the sheep pen? No. He's using an earthly thing to help them understand something heavenly. He's saying that I am the door to salvation. I am the one way, only way into having a relationship with the living God. I am the only way. You've got to pass through me in order to go into the heavens. You've got to pass through me in order to have a relationship with the living God. There is one way in, and I'm that doorway. You enter in through me. You know, when you make those statements today, when you say that Jesus Christ said he is the door but not a door, when you get really specific like that, that's not a very popular statement. You know, I, I don't even know what, what is politically correct. I mean, I don't think anything is correct polit politically today, so I'm not even, I don't even want to say that. So I'm going to throw that out right now. Who cares what they have to say? 
But what, this is what I'm saying. But people will say to us as Christians, or the statements about Jesus, they will say that that statement is exclusive, it's intolerant, and it's closed-minded. Jesus is saying, the way, why can't there be other ways? Why is he so exclusive? And you know, when you make that statement and people say that, I remember I told you at Christmas that I was sitting up in an office with a man and he looked at me and he said, Pastor Ed, I believe that all religions are the same. They're all leading us to God. It doesn't matter what door you walk through, all those doors are leading you up the hill, up to have a relationship with God. So it doesn't matter what religion, because all the religions are the same. He said, do you agree with me? And I said to him, well, I respectfully disagree. He said, well, why, why? I said, well, because I believe that Jesus Christ is uniquely different than any other founder of any other religion. He said, why do you say that? I said, well, I can tell you a number of reasons, but I'm going to tell you four. Number one is that Jesus Christ claimed that he was God. No other founder of any other religion ever made that claim other than Jesus Christ. He claimed that he was God. Matter of fact, that's why they crucified him, because he claimed to be God. Now, either he was crazy or he was speaking the truth, but he claimed to be God. No other founder of any other religion made that claim. Second is he claimed that he had the authority and the power to forgive you of your sin. No other founder of any other religion made that claim other than Jesus Christ. They claimed that God could forgive you of, of your sin, but they themselves, they had no power or authority to forgive you of your sin. But Jesus Christ made the claim that he had the power and the authority to forgive us of our sins. Number three is that Jesus Christ claimed that salvation was by grace, not works. By grace, not works. In other words, he was saying that salvation is a gift. And that gift comes from God to all of us. And when you get a gift, you've got to receive the gift. You don't work for the, for the gift. If you work for it, it would be a reward. It's not a reward. It's a gift. And God gives it to us. For God so loved the world, so, so God so loved you, that he gave his only son. There it is. He gave. Gave what? A gift. His son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. See, it's a gift. I remember when I was in seminary, I was taking a class, and it was world religions. And I met a Hindu, and we became friends. And we talked, and we hung out with one another, and we were studying all the world religions. And I made a statement in class that Jesus Christ was uniquely different because he said salvation was by grace, not works. And my friend said, I don't, I don't agree with that. I said, I'll tell you what, let's just wait till the end of the class once we study all the religions, and let's pick up that question again. He said, okay, that's fair. So we studied all the religions. The class was over. He walks up to me, and he says, Ed, you're absolutely right. After studying all the religions, all the religions of the world, with the exception of Christianity, is man's way of trying to reach up to God, trying to be good enough so that God would approve of them and accept them. But only in Christianity do you find that God reaching down to man through the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus providing salvation as a gift. And if any man or child or woman receives that gift, he has, says it has the power and authority to forgive them of their sins. And I said, you got it. Because that's what he said. And that makes Christianity and Jesus Christ uniquely different than any other founder of any other religion. Number four is that I said to my friend, Jesus Christ claimed to be resurrected from the dead. 
No other founder made that claim other than Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, you can go to the places where other founders are buried, and they're buried, they're dead, and their remains are right in the grave. But when you go to the gravesite of Jesus Christ, we all know that the tomb is empty. Why? Because he walked out of the grave. He lives. He lives. And I said to my friend, you see, Christianity, when you understand what Jesus said and what the Bible teaches, you understand Christianity is not a religion. It's not keeping a set of rules and regulations or even teachings. It's about having a relationship with a living Christ. It's about having a relationship with a person. And I said to him, I said, listen now, it's very important that you understand this. You see, we as Christians, we are trusting our founder for our salvation. Yes, we, we follow the teachings of our, of, of, our, of our founder, Jesus Christ. We believe what he said was true, but we're not looking to his teachings to save us. We're literally looking to him to save us from our sin. We believe that he's the one that provides salvation. When you look at other religions, they're not looking to the founder for their salvation. No, they're following his teachings, believing his teachings are going to guide them into salvation. But we don't believe that. We believe that our founder is alive. We're not following a dead man's teachings. We're following a person who walked out of the grave and lives. We're following the person of Jesus Christ, believing that he has the power and the authority to forgive us of his sins. Why? Because he's the one who died on the cross and was raised again from the dead, and he lives. We're talking about having a relationship with a person. His name is Jesus Christ. I said, see, what we're saying here, my friend, is this. That Jesus Christ is uniquely different than any other founder because he merely did not say, by the way, and I stopped him and I said this before I said what I was about to say. I said, you see, this is how it works. You could take Buddha out of Buddhism and still practice Buddhism. You could take, you could take Muhammad out of Islam and still practice, practice Islam. But you cannot take Jesus Christ out of Christianity because there's nothing there. It's about having a relationship with Christ. Make no question, have no questions there. It's about a person that's alive right now. And then I said to him, you see, he's uniquely different than any other, any other founder because he merely didn't say that he knew the truth. He said he is the truth. He didn't merely say that he knew a way to God. He said he is the way to God. Then I looked at my friend and I said, hear me. So when you say that all religions are the same, I respectfully disagree. You see, because Jesus Christ is uniquely different than any other, any other founder of any other religion. So Christianity is without a shadow of a doubt set apart from them all. He looked at me and said, wow, Pastor Ed, you've given me a lot to think about. So when I make the statement today and we read that verse when Jesus said, I am not a door, but the door, he's saying, I am the way in so that you can know that heaven will be your home. You walk through me, you come to me, you will know that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. For he said this, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Remember what he said over in John chapter 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Notice there he didn't say a way, a truth, a life. He said the way, the truth, 
the life. He's saying not a door. He's saying the door. You know, when you make those statements, it's not popular, is it? It's just not popular in our culture. They say that's an intolerant statement. You are being exclusive. You are being closed-minded. You can't be that. Because you're intolerant. And what we need to remember is this, that Jesus Christ wasn't intolerant, he wasn't exclusive, he was just stating the facts, the truth. When, when a society begins to worship tolerance, there's no distinction between what is right and wrong because you believe everything to the point where you believe in nothing. When you're tolerant of everybody and accept everybody's belief, you don't have any room to believe anything because you believe in everything. And there's no distinction between what is right and wrong. I was down visiting my Aunt Sally. I told you, she's 97 years old. She's an amazing woman. She lives by herself. She swims every day she can. I told you at Easter that I called her and I said, what are you doing, Sally? She said, oh, I'm swimming. I said, that's great. She goes, yeah, I'm down at the pool. And I've been teaching people how to swim. I said, what people? She said, you know, the 70-year-olds that come down and, 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 and swim? I, I blew that. She said, kids. She said, kids to me. She goes, I'm, I'm teaching the kids. And I said, what kids? She said, the 70-year-olds that come down to the pool. And I said to her, I said, man, that's amazing, Sally. She goes, well, I need some help. I said, okay. So I got on a plane, flew down to see her just this past week. She'd had to change doctors with the health care going on. She had the same doctor for 40 years. Now she's 97 years old. We've got to change the doctors. That's not so easy. But while I was there, I was sitting at the pool, and I met these English people. And the English people were friends of Sally's. They knew I was a pastor, and they walked up to me, and they said, hey, Pastor Ed, how you doing? We introduced one another, and they sat down, and they quickly began to tell me that they were non-religious people. They didn't believe in religion. So my statement back to them was this, well, either do I. And they go, what do you mean? You're a pastor. You got... I said, no, no, you... listen to me. If you understood what Jesus Christ said and what the Bible teaches, you would know that he went up against the religious establishment. He went up against the religious leaders and the Pharisees of his day, and he says, and I was studying for this, so I said, he said, he is the door into heaven. He said, I am not a door, but the door. They looked at me and they said, wow, you say that so matter of fact. It's refreshing, they said. I said, it's refreshing, why do you say that? She said, well, we live in England half of the year, and then we come to the United States the other half. And we've discovered and realized that in both nations, it's like everybody's worshiping tolerance to the point where there's no distinction between what is right and wrong. And it's wonderful to hear someone say that they believe that something is right and something is wrong. It's just wonderful to hear that. We don't agree with you, but we at least believe what you're saying. We believe that you believe it. And we really are wonderful that you're so open and so point-blank standing on what you believe. And I looked at him and I said, well, you know what, I agree with you. I agree with this. I agree that when you worship tolerance, you accept everything where you believe in nothing and that there's no distinction between what is right and wrong. But let me tell you what happens in the States as a pastor. When you get up and you talk about Jesus being the, the door, the only way into the kingdom of God, people will say that you're exclusive, you're intolerant, you're closed-minded. I said, but you know, the truth is, you're stating the facts, you're just stating the truth. And there is truth. I said, it's like this. It's like today, it's, like we, it's, it's amazing the way we think anymore. I said, but there is truth. 
There is a dis- di- there's a distinction between what is right and what is wrong. It's like when you go to a doctor. Say a person walks into the doctor, and the doctor tells them that they got diabetes. And, he's, and the doctor says, but if you'll take insulin, you'll be able to live, and you'll be able to keep the lid on that disease. And the person looks at the doctor and says, well, why do I have to take insulin? Why can't I take vitamins or penicillin or take Tylenol? He said, because what we found is that it's true that if you will take insulin, you'll be able to live. But if you take vitamins and penicillin, it's not going to help you. Well, I think that that's just intolerant. I think that that's just exclusive. I think your mind is just closed off. I think I can take vitamins. I think I can take penicillin. I think I can take Tylenol and I'll be fine. And the doctor would look at them and say, you know what? You can take that. You can believe that. But I'm telling you the truth. If you'll take insulin, you'll live. If you don't, you're going to die. And there isn't anybody in the United States would be crazy enough to fight against that doctor. But it is amazing to me. It is amazing to me. It's pretty funny, really, when you think about it, that this statement here is so true. It's funny that the only place we insist on tolerance is when it, when it comes to morality. That's all, the time, all of a sudden now there's no truth. We can believe anything and everything, it doesn't matter. There's no difference between what is right and wrong. Well, the English people looked at me and they said, wow, that's some truth we've got to hang on to. We've got to think about that. I said, yeah, and the great thing is that Jesus Christ said, so you don't have to wonder how to get to heaven. You can know absolutely, guaranteed, that when you come to Jesus Christ, he's the way in. He's the door that brings you in into a relationship with the living God so that you can know for certain that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Well, they just nodded. But what are you going to do today? You're just going to nod? If you're not really sure where you're going, if you're not really sure about your own salvation, or even if you are sure, I'm hoping that as you're listening, you're getting more confident, you're getting stronger to be able to communicate the truth of Jesus Christ so that you can help those who are not confident that they can enter into the kingdom of God. But those of you that are in this room this this morning and you're not really sure, you're not really sure that if you die tonight, you know where you're going to go. You have fear, you have questions, you have doubts. Let me help you with this because this is what happens here in our passage and I think it's wonderful because Jesus Christ is not exclusive. Matter of fact, he's including everyone. Look what it says in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. You see that? I am the door if anyone. What does anyone mean? Everyone. That includes you. He's not being exclusive. He's not being closed-minded. He's not being intolerant. He came so that everyone could be saved. He came for everyone. And by by the way, he's saying it's open. He's including everyone when he says it. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. He's saying, I have come for you. And the door is open to you for anyone who's willing to enter in. Now, I know that there are organizations and bosses that have the closed door policy. And you never can get in front of your boss. But I also know that there are other organizations that have the open door policy and the boss is available. Well, Jesus Christ is available all the time, folks. He's available. Matter of fact, he's giving invitations to us to enter in. You see, a door is only a helpful thing if it's used. 
So when you come, he's saying, here it is, I'm the door. If you'll use it, if you'll enter in, this is what he says he'll do. He says he'll save you. Save you from what? From sin. See, Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sin. There isn't anybody in this room that's crazy enough to stand up and say that you're perfect. You know it, and I know it. I know that I'm not. I know that I need a Savior. I go against my conscience. I go, I've said things and done things that I wish I could, I could rewind the tape, but I can't. I've done it. And I know that I've broken the laws of God. Nobody has to tell me that. I know that. And the Bible says that the, there are consequences of breaking the laws. And it says the wage of the sin is death. And Jesus Christ, as the Bible says, for God so loved you that he gave his only son in, who died on the cross, who was raised again from the dead, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What he's saying is Jesus Christ came, died on that cross to take your place, paid your penalty, and then was raised again from the dead, and now he can usher you in into a relationship with God. He became your substitute. He died on the cross for you, and now he's raised again from the dead. And now we can go through him and enter into a relationship with Christ and with God. Let me stop right there and say this, though. But how do you enter in? How do you begin this relationship? By believing. By simply believing. And to believe, it means three things, everybody. It means you need to use your mind, you need to use your heart, and you need to bring your will. Your mind, your heart, and your will. Let's first of all talk about the mind. The mind is this, that you believe that Jesus Christ is a historical fact. He's not like make-believe. Just like there's Abraham Lincoln or John F. Kennedy or, or uh, Martin Luther King, he's a historical fact. There's a person, his name was Jesus Christ. You ever wonder why when people get upset and mad that they'll say Jesus Christ? Why don't they ever say Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius? You know why? Because even the demons believe that there's a Christ. And if they can get you to say his name, then you condemn yourself. And it also shows us that there's one Savior, there's one Lord, and it isn't the other founders, it is Jesus Christ. Because even the demons believe. So it's not enough just to believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and believe he's a historical fact. It's more than that. It's the beginning, but it's more. So the second part is that you've got to bring your mind to the table, but then you've got to bring your heart. And the heart means this, that you're willing to trust what Jesus Christ did on that cross, he did it for you. Did you hear that? He did that for you and what he did on the cross was enough for you i told you in the beginning that it was a gift it's something that you receive you don't work for it you work for it it becomes a reward so you don't have to do anything more you just simply transfer your trust from yourself to jesus christ thirdly is that you bring your will you're willing to commit yourself to jesus christ when i married my wife tammy i had to say yes to her and no to everybody else and we started a relationship, a marriage. And when I did that, I didn't do it privately, I did it publicly. We brought in all of our family and friends and we wanted everyone to know that we had a relationship and we were, getting, we were committing to one another. Saying yes to each other and no to everybody else. Today, people think that they can have a private faith. Find that in the Bible, everybody. Doesn't exist. That's a cultural thing in America, to have a private faith. Let me ask you this. Listen now. Ladies and gentlemen, would you marry somebody who said this to you? I want to be your girlfriend. I want to be your wife. I want to be your husband. But I don't want anybody to know about it. And I want to have all the benefits of the relationship, but don't tell anybody. We're just going to be with each other. Would you commit to that guy or that girl? Tell me. Would you? 
Do you think that person's committed to you? No way. So somehow we think this living Christ is going to play this game. He doesn't play this game. Jesus Christ died on the cross publicly for all of us. And he was raised again from the dead. And he says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. So my friend, when he comes back the next time, when he comes back, the Bible says that he cannot find faith on the earth because everybody's afraid. If you're bought into that, you've got to question yourself this morning and say, do you really know this person, Jesus Christ? Are you really committed or do you have some intellectual faith? Do you have some kind of feeling that you have? Or do you really honestly know the person of Jesus Christ? Because if you know him, he dwells in you by his spirit. And I'll tell you what, just like he did with the disciples who were afraid of everything and ran for their lives, what ended up happening to them when they met Jesus Christ and they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They became bold men. They went up against and fought their fear and became men and women of great faith. Are you a person of great faith? Because if you are not, you've got to question whether or not you have a commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, listen to this. Jesus is saying to you and me, he's saying, I invite you in. I have a door, and that door is me. You enter into me, I will forgive you of your sin. I was raised again from the dead. You don't have to fear death anymore. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. When you know me, I know you, and I will change your life, and I'll give you a life that's so full and so purposed and so meaningful. Not only now, but also then, all you've got to do is commit yourself to me. Are you really committed? Would you please bow your heads with me? I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to settle this once and for all. It doesn't, mean, doesn't, doesn't matter if you're 89 or 9. If you're in this room today and you've heard it and you're saying to yourself, wow, Pastor Glover, God spoke to me. He's knocking at the door of my heart and I don't want to question it anymore. I don't want to worry about it anymore. I want to end it right here and now. I'm going to ask you to do something not privately but publicly. I'm going to ask that you stand right where you are. And you make a commitment before your God and you tell him that I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and be my Savior and my Lord this morning. And I'm going to ask you, and you just have a few moments, so think about it. Make a decision. It's the greatest decision of your life. But if you want to know Jesus, if you want to confirm that you know him, I'm going to ask that you stand. And would you please stand right now? Thank you. Those of you that are standing, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me and pray. And as you stand and pray with me, let me say this to you. God sees you. You are not invisible to him. He knows where you are, and he is going to meet you in a new and right way, the way that he only can meet you. So by standing, my friend, I am telling you that you, this day, you put it in the ground. You don't worry about it. You don't think about it anymore. You just say, on this day, whatever this date is, you say May and the date and say on this day, I put a stake in the ground. I've committed myself to him and he who has started this work in me will complete it until that day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in Jesus' name and we would ask that you would forgive us of our sins and we would ask that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would right now that our relationship with you would be as real as I'm standing here and that you would meet me right here, right now. And I'm going to ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. And I'm going to ask you to fill me with your spirit, that you would give me courage and boldness to walk with you. 
Thank you for what you've done in my life. I ask you to give me courage and boldness. Help me to stay in the word. Help me to come to church. Help me to get in a small group and help me to grow. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. With everybody still standing, everybody looking right here, look at me. Those of you that are standing, I'm going to say something to you this morning. Today I walk around in the streets of Pittsburgh and there seems to be no courage anywhere. No boldness anywhere. But I'm going to say this to you. On this day, the Lord Jesus Christ has met you. And you let no one take it from you. You, let the de you don't let the devil take it from you. You take that and you take it home and you know that this day you stand with him. When you pass from this life, you're going to pass into the kingdom of God. Just like that young man who died, who was shot to death, he's in the kingdom and so will you be. And I trust that every one of you who sat here today, you understand where you are. Because my friend, as the days get closer, you're going to have to make a decision of where you're going to be and who you're going to stand for and what you're going to do with your time and your talent and your treasures. Because it's this day, it's our generation, and we're going to be accountable for it. So this is the day to make a decision of where you're going to go and where you're going to be. Billy Graham's going to walk into this town in the month of August. We're going to have man-up conferences. We're going to do these things in order to help us to be the greatest people that have ever walked on the planet because we serve the greatest God that has ever been and ever will be. So when you walk out of this time and you sing this song, you stand with the rest of us. Stand now. And you sing this song like you really mean it. And let's worship him this morning without question, without doubt, about where we stand with Jesus Christ. <laughs>